0: Well, dear family, I would like to read these uh, five verses, and since this is the living word of God, I would ask that we would stand, and I'll just read it quickly. It is uh, in your bulletin. The verses are also listed in your bulletin. This is the living word of God. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Father, we come before your word. We rejoice that we can do so. We pray that you would guide us by your spirit, that we'd be good listeners, that we'd be disciples who intend to practice <clears throat> what we hear, and that you give us grace and the strength and power of your Holy Spirit to apply this precious word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's, <clears throat> it's never been my practice anyway to jump around up here uh, when I'm preaching sermons. And I'm less inclined to do it today, but God has determined sovereignly that my heart is not beating right right now, so it makes me kind of weak. Uh, But the word of God is not chained or hindered by my weakness, and so I bring it to you with joy, dear family. I'd like to start with a quote. This this is on the front of your bulletin. This is from George Mueller. I believe many of you know who he is, or he was, and uh, he said this on the front of your bulletin. The primary business I must attend to every day is to fellowship with the Lord. That's basically what I'm going to be preaching about today in a few more details. And he went on, he said, The first concern is not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner man might be nourished. I may share the truth with the unconverted. It's a good thing. I may try to encourage believers, I may relieve the distressed. Or I may in other ways seek to behave as a child of God. Yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day may result in this work being done in a wrong spirit. In other words, in the flesh. May the Lord keep us from that. And our first song this morning was Be Thou My Vision. And I prayed as I was working on this and thinking of you all, that indeed the Lord would be our vision, that he would be your vision. You have big changes coming. He must be your vision in this. May he be, as the song says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me. In other words, nothing else, save that thou art. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing or no one on earth that I desire besides you. And then the song finishes, Thou my best thought by day or by night, in other words, all the time, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. And through this text today, I I will be sharing about our personal devotions. We have corporate devotions, of course. We have family devotions. I'm speaking today about personal devotions. Our personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus, who loves us, who died for us, and your elders feel very strongly. I've talked to Steve, certainly Pastor Kaiser, who many of you don't know. But we have a longing to see the saints delight in the living God day by day, personally. And regarding spiritual disciplines, I believe you all have studied, I don't remember when that was. I was going to ask Ashton, but uh, you studied uh, a book by Don Whitney called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. I believe you did. Maybe not. Nobody's looking like they did. I would recommend it, so I'm going to refer to it a few times today. But devotion, yes, is a matter of the heart. But it is also a spiritual discipline to be practiced and to be built up. It's the good kind of habit. And so our personal devotion should be a regular discipline. And I know many that I counsel at DCC and others through the years knew that it was you needed to make it a discipline but somehow they thought "Oh, if it's a discipline it's just not from my heart I wouldn't I wouldn't be limiting yourself like that first Timothy four eight says that bodily exercise is of some value but godliness or godly discipline is of value in every way because it has promise for the life that is now and the life that is to come your personal devotions are discipline That must be practiced because you're preparing for eternal life with the Lord Jesus. And you know, saints, even building strong relationships requires some kind of planning, usually, or some kind of discipline. And if you don't plan to grow in your relationship, in your love for the Lord, and discipline yourself to that end, I I believe you'll always be struggling to orient your day and your week and your month to that priority. And it is a priority, should be a priority, to know and obey the Lord Jesus. And since we are stewards of the living God, we are servants of the King, our time is not really our own. So we have to think of our time in a different way. And should it even be called our time? Well, yes, but the Lord has given you time, and you can pray like Moses did in Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days, even the parts of our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. May you do that. May you know that it's important for you to discipline your personal times of devotion. Many of you probably are doing that. And again, in this book by uh, Don Whitney, I'll be referring to a few times, especially to, there's a chapter in that book. If you don't have that, I highly recommend it, but there's a chapter called "Silence and Solitude for the Purpose of Godliness." Silence. And, solitude. and I'm going to refer to that in this sermon. Now, Jesus commended Mary. You remember the situation in Bethany Mary and Martha, their brother was there. And Jesus commended Mary for choosing the one needful thing. Martha was busy, uh, and she's focused, too, on one thing, I guess you could say. <clears throat> but the priority of that time was that Jesus was there. And Mary chose to be near him, to sit at his feet. And Jesus said to Martha, and this is in Luke 10, one thing is needed, or one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. So he commended her for spending that time with him when she could. Now, all of us are commanded in Psalm 105, verses 3 and 4 let those, or let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. And we should rejoice, dear family, because the Lord has made it possible for us to seek him at all. And we can do that. He died to pay for our sins that we might draw near to him. And then verse 4 of that, Psalm 105, says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence forevermore. Seek it. Seek his face means seek his presence. Seek his favor. Seek to relate with him at all times really and for our whole life and this seeking is a loving command by the one who loves you so much it's a loving command from our heavenly father which is to be obeyed because the Lord knows we need to know him and we need to experience him and David had a heart like this and his priority I believe and his joyful discipline was to seek the Lord verse 4 says one thing David said One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So what was the one thing David desired that he was seeking by being in the temple? You know, he went to the temple. He went to the house of the Lord. It wasn't primarily because it was a nice building, but it was a nice building. It probably wasn't a high priority that he would be near others, but he loved being with the saints. In many of the Psalms of a he says, I rejoiced in going to the, meet the Lord with the saints. And it wasn't that there was just beautiful music there, but there was. Uh, but he said he wanted all the days of his life to behold the beauty of the Lord. May that be our desire. And that word beauty talks about delighting, delightfulness. May we be so delighted in coming into the presence of the Lord Jesus, ourselves, in, with silence and solitude. So David wants to be where God is. So he goes to the temple uh, to worship him at the temple. And he wanted to yearn for him even more and be like the sons of Korah in Psalm 42. Here's a couple of verses from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, you can picture a deer that's run until it's going to die without satisfaction of its thirst. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. I pray this for you, that you would so thirst for him, that you would understand what this means. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want to go to the temple. I need, I'm so thirsty. I need to meet with him. And we see in verse 4 of Psalm 42, the psalmist said, I used to go with the multitude, all the people who were going up to the temple, to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. He loved doing that. So the psalmist in Psalm 42 had a strong desire. He had a thirst for God. And I just realized how thirsty I am. He had a strong desire for God. He had a thirst. So he, he sought the Lord. He knew that thirst could be satisfied in the Lord Jesus. So he made efforts to seek him. He had to go up to the temple. He had to prepare his heart before that time. And he was not content with just knowing about God. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord, like David. And it would seem that that is just a matter of the heart, you'd think, or just an emotional, the emotional side of us. But it also requires us to plan and to expend effort in the seeking in order to behold the beauty of the Lord. Our minds and our wills and our emotions are involved in this seeking. It shouldn't be dissociated somehow in your mind or in action. Thirst for God is another way of saying desire for God. It's a synonym for a strong desire to know God. And more than just strong, it's passionate. And it's life-preserving. How long can you live without water? Not very long. So pant pant for the Lord Jesus. I never, dear saints, if you want to pray for me, I never want to have a time in my life where I am not thirsting more for him, not seeking to know him more, not enjoying his presence more. I don't want a mediocre walk with him or a distant walk or a lax desire for him, nor should anyone redeemed by the Lord be content in that situation for very long. And our commitment to a regular time of devotion with the Lord Jesus helps us to be thirstier for him and to receive the living water through him, through the Holy Spirit, in a dry and thirsty land. And we definitely live in that. Now, in the physical sense, it sounds strange to be wanting to be thirsty, right? Usually, we deal with thirst as quickly as we can. And maybe that's good. I found out yesterday because I had to pump a 1,000 milliliters of water in me because apparently I was dehydrated and that's part of my issue but um, I was really thirsty and I wasn't drinking water like I should have and it's probably made the condition worse and it's common now to see people carrying water all the time right wherever you go you know, people don't like to be thirsty and God made us thirsty to be physically uh, we need to live, water to live of course uh, a high percentage of our body is water and to be healthy we need water we can't go long without water. But as Christians, I believe our spiritual thirst is also very important. But it's different. There should never be a time, in a sense, when we are not thirsty, not hungering and thirsting for more of the Lord Jesus. As we see his beauty, we want to see him more. If you're not thirsty, dear family, dear saint, if you're not thirsty like you know you, should, you want to be, ask him. To make you thirsty for him. And this is because we become thirsty, uh, as we become thirsty for a closer walk with the Lord, for a closer relationship with him. He said that he can fulfill that. And even enlarge our capacity to take in more of the living water. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, or they shall be satisfied. God initiates spiritual thirst. Praise the Lord through the Holy Spirit, so that he can satisfy it and glorify his name in our lives. It drives us to him. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon in Psalm 42 said, the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy until we have it, and so to pant hourly after it. So to be thirsty for God, to have a longing to be with him, is good for us. It drives us to him. Jonathan Edwards said this, Spiritual good is of a satisfying nature. I mean, all those things that are spiritually healthy for us. And for that very reason, the soul that tastes and the soul that knows its nature will thirst after it and a fullness of it, that it may be satisfied. And the more he experiences, Jonathan Edwards said, and the more he knows this excellent, unparalleled, exquisite, and satisfying sweetness, the more earnestly he will hunger and thirst for more. May that be so for you. David made it a practice to commune with the Lord, and he was like a a person who knows the habit or the discipline of drinking a lot of water. Sherry urges me to do that, and I should do it more. And people who thirst after God still desire more because God is increasing their capacity to take in more of him, the living water, and to be filled with his spirit. But for all believers, it is God who initiates spiritual thirst. He called us through his Holy Spirit. He called you to be his own. And then through the Holy Spirit and his precious word, he gives us the means to satisfy this thirst. Psalm 107 says he satisfies the longing soul. A great promise for you to claim. He satisfies the longing soul. May we have a longing soul. He he will satisfy that. Are you longing more for him? Is my question this morning. So the psalmist's heart and soul of Psalm 42 is panting to know God, to be near him in the temple, uh, to be in his presence. He thirsted for the living God, the only one who has the living water. The gods all around Israel had no life and no way to satisfy a thirsty heart. And the gods of this world, you all know, still don't, and they never will. They promise a lot, Look at our nation. They're going after that, satisfying whatever they can. The psalmist remembered how joyful he was to go with others to the temple to meet with God and to worship him. And he remembers having his dry soul watered before. And he sought the Lord and he worshiped him. Brothers and sisters, if we can discipline ourselves to satisfy our physical desires and our physical needs, certainly we can trust God to do that in us. Certainly by the grace of God and the power of his spirit, we can discipline ourselves to seek the Lord. And praise God, we don't have to go to a certain physical place. Praise God, we have this one now and another one in the future to worship corporately. But we don't need to do that because the spirit dwells in us. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we can seek the Lord at all times. But being together to do that, like we are today, corporately, is a means of God to make us thirsty, I believe. To make us long for a closer walk with him. If we take meeting together lightly, I I don't believe you do, but if there is a temptation for that, it may have an impact on our hearts and on our thirst. He is present with his assembled children, and we risk dryness by not being here, by not being prepared to worship before you come. And if David could have, I believe he would have lived in the temple. He said that. He would have lived in the temple. He would have been a doorkeeper, whatever. And he would offer sacrifices of joy and praise. Now, when David became aware that God was drawing him near and invited him, which we'll look at just a little bit briefly at the end, the Lord said to him, the Lord said to David, seek my heart. And David's response was, I believe he cried it out. Your Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. He answered like that, I believe. And I believe God through his spirit works in our hearts. Praise God. And he commends us, commands us also and invites us to come to him and taste and see his goodness. Because he is a loving God. He is a gracious God. So let's respond like David. Maybe even in those words. I'll do that, Lord. I'll do all I can by your grace to seek you. No matter what you're going through i'll discipline myself to meet with you to be alone with you to seek your face verse five for in the time of trouble david had a lot of trouble in his life in the time of trouble he the living god shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock So David is seeking to be hidden, if you will, with God, just just he and the Lord. He wants to be hidden, to be with him, to be with the Lord Jesus in the secret place or in a safe place, which is in the temple. In the temple, anyway, it was the Holy of Holies. That was the secret place. David longed for a place where no one could interfere with him. No one could interfere with his communion with the Lord. No one could harm him. No one could distract him. There's so many distractions in life. Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 63, similar. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So... I have looked for you in the sanctuary where he knew he could come with the saints to seek the Lord. And he said, I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. May he be our vision, as we already sang. May we look for him, not only in the sanctuary here. He was looking to God to see his power and his glory. Like Moses very boldly said, Lord, show me your glory. I believe the Lord was pleased in that and pleased in David's heart and crying out like this. David's heart and soul was eager to know God, to be near him in the temple, in his presence. And he remembers having his dry soul watered. So he sought the Lord. Psalm 63 goes on, my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. Now that's a lot of fat. Fat is very satisfying. If you eat a lot of fat, you just won't be hungry for a while anyway. So David said, my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness like that, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Just like he's eating so much fat, I am so satisfied. That's what he longed for in his relationship with the Lord. When I remember you on my bed, so when he, at night, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. What a wonderful picture. David longed to be alone with the Lord, and he uses the picture of a chick under a, the mother's wing, in the shadow of her wings. Very safe place to a chick, anyway. And that was a place of refuge. It was a place of comfort, and it was a picture of the nearness that David longed for with the Lord. He wanted to be hidden. He wanted to be hidden with the Lord. And if he was in the temple or meditating on his bed at night, he was coming before the Lord himself. He was communing from his heart with the living God. In Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus said, When you pray, go into your room. Some some versions call it the closet, I guess. When you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You have sought him. Him alone. He desires your heart. He wants you to long for him. David said in Psalm 62, Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him, or my expectation is him. Psalm 46, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength. 46.10 says, the Lord says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still, not frantic with activity or noise. He is our refuge, dear family, our hiding place, the only place of true quiet and true rest for our souls. It is in him, not so much a place, that we will experience that. Jesus could calm the waves, and he can calm your heart. He can calm your soul. Whatever fear, whatever you're facing, he can calm your soul to meet with him. And he commanded, peace, be still. He can say that to you. In Mark 4, it says, the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And so as we seek him in quiet and silence and solitude, he calms our soul. If your soul is agitated, if you're in distress for whatever reason, he is the one who calms your soul. Mark 1 says, tells us about Jesus. It says, in the morning, a great while before day, he He rose. And went out to a lonely place or a solitary place and there he prayed so he'd been healing people uh, most of the night he was very tired there were likely many more people to be healed and yet the lord needed to be alone he needed to be quiet with his father in heaven how much more dear family do we many americans many christians have a hard time being silent for very long I can't even imagine being silent or being alone also and silent in a little booklet made by University Press a long time ago, in the 70s, it's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. The Tyranny of the Urgent. Great little book. You can get it online. And it says this, Prayerful waiting on God, and I'm talking about personal devotions, your quiet time, that's what we always called it. He sa- it says, Prayerful waiting on God is indispensable to effective service. Do you want to serve the Lord Jesus? It's indispensable. Like it says, like the timeout in a football game, it enables us to catch our breath and fix a new strategy ahead of us for that day. As we wait for directions, the Lord frees us from the tyranny of the urgent. He shows us the truth about Himself. He shows us the truth about our, Himself, ourselves, and our tasks ahead of us, our priorities, in other words. He impresses on our minds the assignments He wants us to undertake. It is not God, who loads us until we bend or crack with an ulcer, nervous breakdown, heart attack, or stroke. The Lord knows our frame. He knows your frame. He remembers that we are but dust. In that spiritual discipline book I mentioned, in the chapter called Silence and Solitude, Don Whitney mentioned that the greatest men, and he was thinking of two men in this case, the greatest men in each covenant, the old and the new covenant, Moses and Paul, were both transformed through years of virtual isolation in a remote wilderness. I doubt we're being called to that. But it's a picture of what is necessary if our hearts are going to be changed. Don Whitney also said, we have become, and he's talking about America, we have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. Now I understand we have a lot of munchkins here. It's hard for you to have quiet. You all know what Susanna Wesley did. I didn't know how it worked, but apparently it did. She had thirteen kids and they do what kids do, and she threw the apron over her head. And I don't know if it told the kids, ooh, okay, but be quiet. Mom's had it, or just something about that. And you can read her, you can read her testimony of what a blessing that was. I, I think the noise is still going on. May we not have an aversion to quiet with the Lord. So we're conditioned, I believe, to be comfortable with crowds and with noise and uh, not necessarily with silence or solitude. That discipline, I believe, is very rare in our country. How many minutes a day, you don't have to answer this, how many minutes a day do you just sit quietly, alone, if you can, uh, maybe nowadays, instead of the, the apron, you go to the bathroom, right? Ladies, that's what you do. Go to the bathroom, lock the door. The kids probably are not going to kill themselves. And you have a few minutes. So, how many minutes a day do you just sit quietly alone and not feel you have to do something? Okay, I have to do something. I've waited here for a whole minute. i got to get up. We condition ourselves to do that. Or to listen to something. Or to watch something, or to play something, or to read something. Not that those are bad things. So don't automatically turn on music or a podcast rather than enjoy, and it should become a great joy to you, a time of silence. I know it's hard, but I believe our spiritual health needs that silence and solitude. Now, we worship the Lord together, praise God, and we, sh- we are active in singing as we have been this morning, and in speaking the scriptures together, and in listening to the scriptures and coming to the table of the Lord and there are smaller times of of quiet in a corporate worship some at the beginning of a service some during our confession Um, as you partake of the elements a little bit later you'll have a little bit of time of silence there I would urge you to use those profitably they're all very brief but very important I believe Those are times to be silent and, in a sense, experience solitude. Yes, we're in a group. Solitude, even in this body. Jonathan Edwards, again, he said this Some are greatly affected. Now, that was the word he used by moved, emotionally moved. Some are greatly moved when in company with the saints, as we should be. But they have nothing that bears any manner of proportion to that in secret. In close meditation, in prayer and conversing with God when alone and separated from the world. A true Christian, he said, doubtless delights in religious fellowship, praise God, and in Christian conversation, and he finds much to affect and finds much to affect his heart. But he also delights at times to retire from all mankind to converse with God in solitude. And this also has peculiar, has peculiar advantages for fixing his heart, he said. In other words, setting his eyes on the Lord Jesus and engaging his affections. True religion disposes persons to be much alone in solitary places for holy meditation and prayer. It is the nature of true grace, Jonathan Edwards said, as much as it loves Christian society in its place, to delight in retirement and secret converse with god fight for that don't give up you may have five minutes and a great blessing and i'd say praise god if that's what you're given but if you can enjoy that even more during the week you know we each of us don't probably have a regular liturgy like we do today or we don't have a plan necessarily A plan's not bad uh, as we do during the lord's worship here so but in our daily quiet time Excuse me. It is almost seems like when I talk to people sometimes it's almost uh, like we're guilty for taking some time for silence and solitude. You know, well, I have many things to do. You remember Martin Luther? He said, "I have so many things to do. I'm going to spend more time with the Lord." Or we become uneasy or bored or just conditioned to be active. Yes, we have to be active. <coughs> Excuse me. Or maybe. Dear people, we're pressured by what we feel must be done. Yes, kids need to be fed. Kids need to be changed. We we feel pressure from that. We're possibly uh, fearful of, of being alone. I know some people who are fearful of being alone. And I believe we become better listeners to each other as we learn to listen to the Lord Jesus and not feel compelled to speak so much during part of our time with the Lord. And I had a thought about this just a little while ago, that I believe it's very important for our children to learn that Mommy does need quiet time, and Daddy does too. And for our children to know that it's OK to have a quiet time. They don't have to be active all the time. They can lay down. This is a quiet time. You have, this time. we used to set a clock. It was digital. They knew when it hit whatever it was, eight, zero, zero, eight o'clock in the morning or whatever, they could get up. But before that, they needed to be quiet. And they learn to enjoy it. I think. Well, you can ask Jennifer. She'll take But may we, may we be more like Mary and choose to be quiet with the Lord and trusting him to help us get done what must be done. I think a lot of those times we jump up and our quiet time is a little bit cut short. Um, you know, it doesn't maybe necessarily need to be done. What I have found, though, is I always have a piece of paper next to me because I, it would still bother me And I'd have it in my mind. I'd say, keep reminding myself, don't forget, don't forget. i just write it down during a quiet time. I always have something to write on during my quiet time. And I don't want the tyranny of the urgent in, in my daily life to control me. And my phone. For a while, I used to have my phone with me. Anymore, you know, yes, some urgent things did come up, actually, during my quiet times. But on the whole, not. And so, I mean, I could put it on a uh, vibrator or something. Silence and solitude are disciplines, I believe, dear saints, we must seek to develop, especially as we meet with the Lord. Alistair Begg, I mean, some of you missed, listened to him, I believe. He said, the establishment of holy habits is not legalism. It's imperative to spiritual wholeness. Disciplines are not wrong in the Lord Jesus. He's pleased. Discipline comes from the word for disciple. David Mathis, he's the, or was the executive director of Desiring God, he said this, the title of the article is Taking a Break from Chaos. <clears throat> he said, it's surprising how loud silence can be. The point of practicing silence, this is, uh, he's continuing, the point of practicing silence as a spiritual discipline is not so we can hear God's audible voice, but so we can be less distracted and better hear him speak with even greater clarity from his word Sherry and I, maybe I've shared this before here, uh, over the 17 years I was working at the university had many Asian students living with us visiting us all the time and the ones who stayed any length uh, at our house, we lived in the country on an old farm they're all from cities of 10 million and 12 million and they were very uneasy at our acreage. Some of them told us it bothered them. It's too quiet when I mean, there's birds, but that there's no car sounds. There's nothing, it was, you know no people except our family. Cows, they can see cows. Don Whitney wrote, many of us need to realize the addiction we have to noise. I believe the convenience of sound, he said, has contributed to the spiritual shallowness of contemporary Western Christianity. He meant the United States, I believe, mostly. Contributed to the spiritual shallowness of the church in this country. And Don Whitney went on, he said, one of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. While we have broadened our intake of news and information of all kinds, These advantages may come at a cost, may come at the expense of our spiritual depth if we do not practice silence and solitude. And he went on, the worship of God does not always require words, sounds, or actions. I love the actions when we raise our hands, you know, when we're gathered, and you can do that certainly privately. It doesn't require words, sounds, or actions. And he went on, Sometimes worship, that is devotions, consist of a God-focused stillness and hush. Just a hush. God knows your heart. He wants your heart. Jim Elliott said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence and the enemy does not want us dear family to be quiet with the Lord certainly quiet maybe but quiet with the Lord and our own flesh resists it and our enemy does not want the discipline of daily quiet time with the Lord to be developed and our own flesh again avoids it sometimes may it not be so may it be decreasing that kind of avoidance and the world certainly is not going to lodge you. They probably think you're crazy that you want to be quiet and silent. The world resists it. I mean, the phone, your phones resist it. There's a booklet called um, An Hour of Prayer. This is Phil Kaiser, our senior pastor at Dominion Covenant Church. He wrote a booklet, and it's called One Hour of Prayer, and he has it a one hour divided into five-minute segments. And if you've never prayed for an hour or don't think you can, you will be amazed. That book's online. It's free. You'll be amazed that you can pray as it's laid out there and the hour goes very quickly. But one of those five minutes is not you speaking, listening. Maybe certainly listening to the word. That's how the Lord speaks. And Phil called it a time to wait for God to manifest his personal presence in any way that he chooses. And I think maybe we limit limit the Lord because we're not silent. Psalm thirty seven seven says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. In other words, wait quietly, without feeling you need to do something, say something. Here's a couple just really quick applications, possible applications. I mentioned one, have a piece of paper next to you. It's really helped me a lot. Believe it not, that one thing helped me a lot. But as I'm talking about here a lot, it should be consistent and regular. Yes, you miss quiet times sometimes, but it should be consistent. In our 55 years as believers in The Navigators, we never dreamed of not having a quiet time. Is what everybody thought, said they did as Christians. We didn't know that, but praise the Lord. It's our part of our life. It's like breathing. So plan for some extended times alone with the Lord. I know those are hard, but Sherry and I used to go away. I'd watch the kids or whatever. She'd go away. Sometimes we'd rent a, uh, like a hotel room or something. Uh, that was a long time ago. We haven't done that lately. Um, and she'd spend half a day alone with the Lord, and then I'd do the same. It was a great blessing. And it was a little hard at first. It was like, oh, huh? I have like four hours, this is, what do I do? But that that one hour prayer booklet or something like that does help a lot. A couple of questions here from that same book, Spiritual Disciplines. I'm sorry, I forgot. We gave everybody in our church a book called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's a really blessed book. It was about two and a half years ago I prayed because I felt my quiet times were uh, I, I was distant. I don't want to be distant from the Lord. And so uh, I found this book. And it was, I meditated through it slowly through my quiet times for most of a year, I think. It's not a hard read, but it is certainly delightful. I would highly recommend it. It's by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly it's called. Because that verse in Matthew 11 tells us what the heart of Jesus is. And I shared in a sermon, uh, I don't know when that was, a little bit related to Matthew 11. In this book I might have referred to. So go through a book like that or through the Valley of Vision, prayer, the Puritan prayer book. I often start my quiet time with that to get my heart and my brain warmed up. And then I'll go into the word. So some questions, and then we'll move on. What's one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? These are questions I hand out at the beginning of every year at Dominion Covenant Church. Also, Don Whitney wrote these out many years ago. What's one thing you could do to increase your enjoyment of God? I would suggest really make your quiet time the prime part of your day, generally in the morning. In which spiritual discipline do you want to make most, the most progress this year, and what will you do about it? What is the single biggest time waster in your life? What will you do about it? What single thing that you plan to do this year will matter most in 10 years or eternity. It's a good question to ask at least once a year. Certainly your time with the Lord, preparing your heart to meet with him forever is a priority. What habit should you most what, what habit would you most like to establish this year? Maybe this discipline is the one that you could say, "Lord, I want to focus on that. Please help me." Or encourage each other in this. You can ask each other, "How's your quiet time?" That was another thing in the navigators. You already knew somebody's going to ask you that. It was good. I, did, I appreciated that discipline. In 1 Kings, Elijah, you know this. Um, the Lord said to him, Get out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. That was a strong wind. You see those here sometimes. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake Big earthquake, but the Lord was not there in the, in the earthquake. He's not in the wind, and after the wind, the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. The Lord spoke to him in a still, small voice. Certainly he was impressed by what came before that. The Lord mighty is mighty, and he's powerful, and he's awesome, and he's to be feared. He is a consuming fire. He's like a huge wind that breaks rocks, which the word is also described that way, or a violent earthquake or a raging fire. Yet, he usually communes with us with a still, I would say, with a still small voice. Not audibly, but in the spirit. A couple of verses related to this, Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, I'm not talking about Eastern meditation, of course, you know that. But I'm talking about quiet and silence and solitude with the Lord Jesus, with his word open. And I encourage you all to plan and discipline yourselves in this, to seek the Lord in silence and solitude more often. Well, that was the major part of what I wanted to say today. I just want to conclude with a few thoughts. Verses 6 through 8 in our text, Psalm 27, says, And now my head shall be lifted up, in other words, he will be honored, above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy, that is, I believe, joyful shouts, in his tabernacle." I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Praise God, we have victory over our enemy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are lifted up above our enemies, and so we can rejoice too in the might of our king and his redemption. Even in your personal times, you might, maybe you're not used to that, but cry out if you don't think anybody will hear you, or even if they do. You know, you can cry out, you can read the word audibly, which is a great blessing. And then in our, de- our devotions, uh, along with silence, we can offer sacrifices of joy. That is what we desire every Lord's Day. We come to give a sacrifice of joy. Because we have been redeemed to do so. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus through his sacrifice. And we can sing here together and also individually in our quiet time. We're singing praises to our king. Again, maybe hard if you think you're going to disturb. Verse seven. Finally, verse seven and eight. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. It was a prayer. Lord, He certainly knows that the Lord hears every word He says, even before He said it. But He said, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When You said, Seek My face. There was a command of the living God. My heart said to You. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He didn't just say, Okay. My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Proverbs 8 says, I love those, the Lord God says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. It's his promise. This seeking of the Lord, that which can satisfy the longing of our soul, the thirst we have because of his spirit in us, that's possible, dear family, because the Lord died for us, and he rose in victory over sin and Satan and death. And we can seek him as we discipline ourselves to do so, as we train ourselves in godliness. And we can learn to enjoy his presence in silence and in solitude. The Lord is calling you to seek his face. And so may your heart's cry be like David's and your action be like David's. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's pray. Lord God, We pray that you would keep us from being people who honor you just with our lips, who have hearts far from you. May it not be so. Lord, we long to be thirsty for you even more, to enjoy your presence, to delight in you. Oh, Lord, keep us from formalism. Keep us from dryness and expand our ability to drink more of you. Oh, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will pant after you and never be content with the communion we have with you now. When you have told us to seek you, you've commanded it, to long for you in ever-increasing desire. Lord, we ask this because Jesus Christ died for us and rose again and sent your Holy Spirit to make us thirsty for you. And so we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.